Hi there, I'm Mark Isero, and welcome back to Article Club, where we read, annotate, and discuss one great article every month on race, education, or culture. It's almost May, and so we wanted to get going and introduce this month's article to you, just so that you can sign up and get going on the reading. I'm very, very excited to announce that we're going to be reading Why is Affirmative Action in Peril? by Emily Bazelon. It is an extraordinary article. It was in the New York Times Magazine, and I can't wait to talk to Ms. Bazelon. She is an amazing writer, and she just really knows everything about the Supreme Court and about law. And this is a very, very fitting and very timely article because, as you may know, there's a couple cases in the Supreme Court right now that are going to be coming down in June. And obviously, with this conservative court, it might be actually the time where the court overturns and overrules um, affirmative action, and specifically the Grutter case of 2003. But I don't really want to get into all those details right now. What I would rather do is have you all listen to a conversation that I had a few days ago with fellow article clubber Melinda. We decided this time to talk at the beginning of the month to sort of introduce the article, and so I hope that you really enjoy this conversation. It's sort of an informal back and forth about what we think about Emily Bazelon and also what we think about affirmative action and this article. So I hope that you enjoy it, and here it is. Hey, Melinda, we're back. Hi, Mark. Glad to be back. It's really great to talk to you again. This time we're going to be introducing an article here at the beginning of the month. Yes, yes. We're doing a little kind of like pre, pre-chat to let everyone know what we're going to be reading this month. Yeah, we really want to like sort of get people into these discussions. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this month's article, which is about affirmative action. But before that, you know, I was thinking last time, you know, you've been on the show a couple of times, but like, do people really know Melinda? You know, so I just wanted to, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, what, what's been going on like with you and who are you and like, like, why are you doing this whole reading thing? Yeah. So I recently joined Article Club. I'm a newbie. Um, I have read the past two articles. I'll be at the next discussion that's happening at the end of April. Um, I live in Washington, D.C. I'm a lawyer. I work for the federal government. I'm a cat mom, which is one of my favorite things. (laughs) And I'm an avid reader and have been an avid reader for a really long time. And I particularly do love long form articles. So this is a great space for me to be here. Um, but Mark, why don't you take some time and talk to everyone about who you are, just in case there are new people listening and just as a refresher to let everyone know how great you are too. You know, Melinda, it's so great, you know, because number one, I make assumptions. It's like, okay, well, I put this thing out every Thursday. So everybody, of course, knows me. And then also, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm always asking the question. So thank you for the question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like reading. I like really promoting that everybody sort of has an opportunity to read and connect over like the highest quality nonfiction. But during the day, you know, I actually have a really great and sort of demanding job right now. So I'm, I'm actually an assistant principal, which is sort of interesting because I never thought I was going to get into administration. But what I say is that I'm an assistant principal to like really help support teachers with their instruction. Um, And it's like, I have to say, I'm in in my first year at this new school. The new school is in Oakland and it's a good, wonderful community of like three or 400 students and the teachers are great. But the difference though, I have to say compared to especially last year, where I had a job last year, which I said was sort of like a paid sabbatical, uh, because mm. I would just have like large amounts of time to like think and read and do other stuff. And mm-hmm. so so this year, I'm definitely like, you you can't really catch me like in the middle of the day because I'm sort of like running around. Yeah, different pace. 
Yeah, different pace. I mean, like in your job, are you running around all the time? No, I um, used to run around all the time when I worked at a firm when I was in private practice mm-hmm. and I burnt out very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now I'm at like very regular hours. I also do not work on Fridays, which is great. So I may be in like the opposite, the opposite that, pace that you are in. That's amazing. Well, I think yeah. it's just great that, um, you know, we've done this and it's also wonderful to have you for, for this article. And because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to say everything about, you know, being an attorney and like having the huge analysis, but this article mm-hmm. is about affirmative action it is. and it is from the New York Times magazine. It's by mm-hmm. Emily Bazelon and it's called mm-hmm. why is affirmative action in peril? And when I read this a few months ago, I was like, hey, you know, the Supreme Court has its cases. They're coming down in June. And so she wrote this piece. And I was like, we got to get it on Article Club. So I'm really excited just to hear like Mm -hmm. what you sort of thought as an attorney and like some of your first thoughts. I I mean, I I find Emily Vazelon to be a great writer. Um, Just as like a side note, she is she is she's a law graduate. She she went to Yale for law school and she also was a clerk for at the First Circuit. She's also just a great writer. I think it's incredibly poignant. I think that it is also an article that is is almost kind of like an affront to the justices who are trying to get rid of affirmative action. So as a side, as a side note, I've also listened to the oral arguments. You do not need to do that for Article Club. I'm going to tell you right now. Let us unnecessary. There's five hours <laughs> of oral argument. You just need to read the article. But I find that her way of approaching this as a narrative and in historical context to be incredibly important and also highlights for me the the story inside that she is telling for me is a reason why affirmative action is necessary, which we can kind of get into in a little bit. But I find her approach very compelling. Yeah, I liked it too, because so she doesn't talk actually too much about the current cases. Right, right. Instead, she talks about one of the big landmark cases that is informing the case. So the case is about, uh, or the article's about Backey, the decision in the late mm-hmm. 70s. And so I'm not an attorney, but, you know, I've taught government a little bit. And this is one of the big cases, the Backey decision, that you sort of even know about, like, as a general person or as an educator. Right. And it's just so interesting, like, what the headlines are from the Backey decision, Um, You know, things like, oh, no quotas, but overall, like affirmative action should prevail. Mm -hmm. Like, that's Mm -hmm. basically the headline that I sort of know. Um, Yes, that is. And that's the holding in the case. That's like the the principle that they came down on is like, it's okay to consider race, but quotas are not okay. Yeah. And again, it's um, it's a a white guy. It's a white man claiming what I think is a strange term, uh, reverse discrimination. Um, Yeah. A couple of years ago, I was all over the Abigail Fisher case, too. And hey, she uh-huh. she apparently lost. Right. And so she did. Yeah. So anyway, like this is just a thing that I've been really interested in. But what's interesting to me is also like affirmative action in general is something that I think that the general person um, has an opinion about, but may not yeah. even know too much about. Right. You know, about some of the details about like the law. And so I really would love to hear more about Sort of like, what did you think like about, her, you know, Emily Bazelon's treatment of Backy and like how she even approached the article? What I think, the thing that has struck me the most with this article, and it honestly didn't hit me until like several hours after I read it, um, was 
So uh, the the attorney that was arguing for affirmative action in the Bakke case, uh, Archibald Cox, was a professor at Harvard at the time. Um, and he was approached by one of his students, Charles Ogletree. Charles Ogletree is also, I think, currently a professor at Harvard, at Harvard Law. He, he went on to also be a, a very illustrious professor. Um, he was he was a black man attending Harvard in the, in the late 70s. Um, and he approached uh, Archibald Cox about this case, about the Bakke case and how it was very important to him and to students like him. And what struck me was, okay, like, Charles Ogletree is at Harvard because of affirmative action, mm-hmm. like the uh, systems, right? That uh, at before, obviously before there probably were quotas at Harvard. I'm not entirely sure. But so Charles Ogletree is in this discussion with Archibald Cox and it informs Archibald Cox of his argument in order to stand up for and advocate affirmative action, which if there's a world in which if Charles Ogletree had not attended Harvard, had not been able to, then we would not have this program to begin with, or it would not have been constitutional and upheld by the the United States Supreme Court. So I find that like, it's so small in almost like, it's like, right, it's a conversation between a student and a professor, but it is incredibly impactful. And I think that's something that really struck me when reading the article. I totally agree because you could say, oh, that first anecdote was just one of the things that Cox was like thinking about. And obviously that's true, but right. I've I've heard over and over again that the Supreme Court and how it all works, like even with the attorneys who are, it's a very small community. Oh, yeah. It like, is. Yeah, right. It's really tiny. I mean, the folks who... So I guess as an aside, I could have said this really about me, but um, I live very close to the Supreme Court. I walk by it every day on my daily walk. It's very like in the forefront of my mind. The people who argue, the attorneys who argue for the Supreme Court, there are very few of them. It's very specific. It's very small. I mean, even in the current cases that are uh, before the Supreme Court about affirmative action, the, like there's a former solicitor that knows the justices from before. So yeah, it's a very close community. Yeah. And like that first, I don't know, it just really reminded me of like that personal nature, but also how people who um, face the the justices, they're basically trying to win. Um, And they're trying to win based on who's on the court. And of course, you know, you're supposed to make really great legal arguments. And especially in this case, perhaps like historical or moral arguments. But what I loved about this is that it basically, Emily Bazelon was like, no, here is a very famous lawyer who was like the special prosecutor during the Saturday. Like this guy is really famous. Right. Like under Nixon, like like, almost got fired. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And yet like he has to sort of say, how am I going to get five votes? And so chess like, right. It's chess moves. Very specific. Yeah. So he sort of makes these different arguments with key justices in mind. And it's very easy for people like 100 years, like 50 years later to like either have criticisms about various legal. We see it even now in our Supreme Court cases now. It's like, okay, why did they do that versus that? And I just felt like Emily Bazelon like really humanized like the whole process as far as like how all these things that are like legal, illegal mumbo jumbo. It was like, no, he was he, like, he's trying to win a case. He's trying to win it. I think it also highlights how delicate that situation is, right? Because it it came down to one very conservative justice that he needed to win in order, he needed to win over. And I find that, you know, also current, 
right? Like it's also very relatable now. And I think that it is to to use the word use it, it's very human, right? Like it's very much I think a lot of people think about the Supreme Court as like ivory tower, like they're all the way over there. But in a lot of ways, this is such a personal connection. And that went on to then, you know, many years have like lots of there's there's current there's uh, there's other cases that have come out of this, the Gruder case, which is the one that's currently up for debate at the Supreme Court. Um, and that also went on to like affect, you know, the institutions that these people come from. Right. They affect like law schools, obviously, and universities in general. Yeah, it was really for me, it was really interesting that. There's a lot of things going on, but one was yeah. sort of like, one was like, okay, America, we really want to be a just place, but we also mm-hmm. don't want, we're not a historical nation either. And the other part, and we don't need to talk about the 14th Amendment too much, but okay. like, it's cl- <laughs> it's clearly at the center too of this case too, about okay. like, what are the words of the 14th Amendment? And also, you know, what's the history of the 14th Amendment? And yeah. You know, and what was affirmative action even for? Like, was affirmative action actually a thing to address, you know, um, injustice? Of course it was. But seemingly, even in the Backey decision, the a lot of the more conservative justices, the textualists, they are like all the ones. Yeah. Like would say that we don't actually care about history unless it's the history from 1700. Right. Which I find like, right. Like I think there's Emily Bazelon does a really great job of also giving the point of view of Justice Thurgood Marshall, um, who before he was on the court, did a lot of work like in the civil rights movement. Um, And and the case also involves like the Civil Rights Act of Title VI. And so it's interesting how people like pick and choose which history applies. And it feels like kind of also like the darker side of like being a lawyer. Like I'm just going to pick and choose the things that like helped me and in my case and I find it really interesting you know the like I think one when you were talking one thing that hit me was like the idea of oh when does affirmative action end like when do we when does it disappear right and the cases that have come after it are like oh well in 25 years like they try to give a number um which also feels like very separated from history right and also just current times like if we're if affirmative action is supposed to make amends for historical injustices against people that are in minority groups. Uh, that's still true today. So the idea of like, well, let's end a policy feels very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also just at the center of this article for me too, was just, I feel sometimes like there's so many emotions and um, mm-hmm. people's lived experiences with affirmative action and such strong opinions that I feel like sometimes in the Supreme Court, they either don't care about or they do care about. So, for example, in Brown versus Board, which basically Backey is also sort of like talking to. Um, right. It came like right after. Right. right. It is the combination of sort of like constitutional stuff and also like real feelings. But right. then but then somehow I feel like in this case, as well as a lot with affirmative action, it's not really around, you know, like real issues of emotions and moral decisions. But I just wanted to ask you, like, how do you, I mean, because you're an attorney and you have feelings. And so like, how how does that work? So this is so interesting. So again, preface, no one needs to listen to the oral arguments, but um, uh, for the current cases pending, but the Baki case that this is article is about and the current cases, you can hear justices try to separate 
race from lived experience, which is, I think, maybe like a point that you're you're like hitting on is that, you know, oh, well, race is not a qualifying factor or it can't be when it comes to admissions. But then how do you, in the words of Justice Elena Kagan, it's slicing the bologna very thin when you're saying, well, that's, you know, that's not that's separate from your own lived experience. Like as a person, so this is obviously an audio medium. Um, I am uh, a Filipino and Chinese. Both my parents are immigrants. So I'm a brown woman. Um, so if you tried to tell me, well, like, does your race inform your experience? Yes. <laughs> I don't think in my mind I can separate out like my race from my lived experience, but I feel like that is what happened in the Bakke decision and, and how Emily has told it mm-hmm. in her article. Yeah. And meanwhile, everybody... There's just not a ton of racial or other diversity on the Supreme Court. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is another thing. I think it's an interesting. It, yeah, it's 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 a strange thing to have people talk about racial adversity who are not in the minority. Mm-hmm. Right. Given especially the makeup of that Supreme Court. I mean, what do you even think about the Supreme Court as an institution right now? Like, for for example, yeah. I, I, I'm tra- like, I think I used to believe in this thing about, hey, the Supreme Court is is a valid institution. I think it's partly yeah. maybe maybe because of my identity markers and also just because like I sort of came up at a different time where there may have been a little bit less just partisanship. But right. now I think especially with younger people, it's like, hey, these are just nine people and they are not doing a great job. Yeah, I don't know if we have enough time to talk about the it's So I, I will say, like, I have a, I'm like, I have very little, like, this current Supreme Court carries very little credibility with me because it's obviously very politicized. Um, and you know, I, I, I do listen to oral arguments. Um, I wouldn't say because I love it. I think it's, I like to be informed. There are times when I scream into my pillow <laughs> when I'm listening. Um, but I will also say, like, you know. The Supreme Court has Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, who is wonderful. And so, but I think in terms of the institution, I'm very pro like reform. Like I believe in term limits for justice. I believe in adding more justices to the court. Um, I think to to compare with Emily's article where colorblindness was used a lot, right, in the discussion of the Bakke decision, to say that the court is not politicized, I think ignores a lot of things. And I think that there are hope I'm hopeful that there are ways to reform that with um, adding justices on and also term limits. But I have yeah, maybe that's another <laughs> we can have that discussion offline. I know, <laughs> totally. I used to not be for term limits, but now I am. Maybe not as much for like more justices just because sure. like I want to know all of their names and everything. Um <laughs> also fair. Yeah. But yeah, like something definitely has to happen. So how are we going to get more people to like, especially on something that might be heady, like how are we going to get people, how are we going to get people to say yes to this article? This article is not short. It's like around 25, 30 minutes. Um, Right. Like you have to sort of like get in there and like learn a little bit about the backy case. Uh, It's extraordinarily well written, but you have to put in the time. It's very well written. Sure. And like. Like, I'm maybe a little bit like, um, maybe I'm a little bit worried. Like, oh, is this going to be too serious for right before summer? No. Okay. No. So, okay. So, yes. Do you want me to give the, yeah. the, okay. Also, side note, folks, I was a trial lawyer for <laughs> quite a few years. So, this is my argument for why you should read this. First of all, if you're worried about how long it is and you're worried about like actually reading text, you can also listen to it. There is an audio version of this where you can listen to it, which if you're like an audiobook person, that could be great for you. Um, that's a minor point. 
this the the major point I think is uh, not only is this very um, current because in June the decision will come down on the twin cases that have come after the Baki case that involve affirmative action, and it's very very possible that affirmative action will be struck down um, and unraveled by the Supreme Court. But I think that this case or this article and affirmative action is relatable in a lot of ways because. Even if you're not someone who, you know, like applied to college, you probably know someone who this this article will have touched your life in some way. Like the the substance of this article will touch your life in some way. And I think that one thing that's very that's missing a lot in legal discussions is what Emily provides, which is the narrative of how these decisions are made, the people, their choices, their frameworks, and the historical context, um, which I think the Supreme Court does not value at the moment, or certain justices on the Supreme Court do not value. Um, and I think she gives that to us in this. So I think, you know, you're going to you're gonna find this has touched you in some way. I think it's important to read it. So that's what I have to say. That was really well done. I like that. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would agree with you too, because a lot of times, so like sometimes when I'm reading an article about a thing that is a big deal and I don't quite know enough background knowledge, I get a little nervous. I say, okay, sure. am I going to like be able to really engage? And this article, because she takes her time to like explain what it is as well as the mm -hmm. history. And then I just think that she's just really good at taking the reader at different levels. Like if you are an attorney who, know, who right. knows about the, like this is gonna be a great article for you. If you're a person who went to college or applied or knows somebody, like it's gonna be good for you. Um, yes, very sim yeah, very similar to what you said, like, especially because of the narrative piece. And I agree, like, uh, last year, for example, we did an article about abortion right before the, the you know, yeah, and yeah. so we do have to be ready. And we do have to sort of not, I, I mean, obviously, we should have emotional um, reactions to whatever happens. But I really mm -hmm. feel like this article will sort of ground us. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you're being a little bit you're being a little bit circumspect. I mean, the court is definitely going to get rid of affirmative action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I Maybe I'm like, I, I, I should know that also after listening to the arguments. I think they're definitely going to get rid of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a... I think Emily writes for, like you said, for everyone, right? Like she does not assume you're coming with any knowledge, which I think like any background knowledge, which I think is really great. Like this, while it is heady and while it is big, it is not asking you to do any homework before you get there yeah i agree and also when you're there at the discussion it's not oh. like it's not like we're going to be requiring you know a memorization of the 14th amendment and all yeah. the different cases <laughs> yeah you, no, nobody needs to have read the entire or title six or yeah. the 14th amendment you're fine yeah um and maybe it's like another thing like i have like fairly like spicy hot takes on this article so if you want to come to the discussion and if you're there you'll hear that maybe. so that's my last ploy to get people to i really like that and then what will not actually necessarily get people but i'm excited by and i is to actually i might want to listen to some of the oral arguments oh okay yeah yeah and just because like you know i have some anecdotal data about how some of the justices i might bristle at and like they like they don't care like they do random questions that yeah. I find offensive. Justice Alito loves a weird hypothetical. So I guess this is my other argument for folks. Like, again, like these are very long arguments. You don't have to listen to them. But I do encourage you to, because 
at the end of the day, like, yes, the Supreme Court feels very removed from us, even though they are making decisions that affect our daily lives. But we are, you know, for folks who are like in the United States, we're taxpaying citizens. You not only pay for their salary, but you also keep the lights on in the actual building. Like that is your money. So if you have the time and the space and the energy, like, listen, because that this is the technically they work for us, you know, I love it. So I can't wait because if you go to the discussion, then we're going to be able to listen to your hot take. <laughs> and then I'll share my story, which I think is great. The time that I met Sandra Day O'Connor and was able to have dinner because I was part of this whole teacher thing. It was just the best thing. Like it was way back in the day, obviously. Okay. But the yeah. ability to actually meet her was really wonderful. Mm, and, and, she, and she was one of the people, right? Who said, oh, we should probably not have to do these kinds of decisions because in she the future. Wrote, yeah. She wrote my opinion in Gruder. Uh, which came after. And that's the one that says like, you can use race, but you have to use other factors when evaluating applicants. And that's the, that's the case. Gruder is the case where there's like a 25 year sunset on affirmative action. But yeah, she, I'm pretty sure she wrote the majority in that yeah. one, but I could be wrong. Yeah. It's amazing. Okay. Well, I am really excited. Um, Me too. And I hope that folks get out there. Any last words before we head into our weekends? Oh, I hope everyone enjoys reading the article. Can't wait to see everybody when we meet up to discuss. I agree. And Melinda, you're great. Thanks so much for doing this. Hope you liked that conversation that I had with Melinda. And I hope that you read the article. And I also hope that you join this month. We're going to be meeting on May 21st, Sunday, May 21st, to avoid the Memorial Day holiday. Um, so we're going to be meeting a little bit earlier this month. And so it's going to be May 21st, 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. Pacific time. And if you're interested, please, you can sign up now at highlighter.cc slash discussion. If you have any questions about this, especially if you're a first time article clubber, please do not hesitate. Give me an email over at mark at highlighter.cc. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you have a great week.